John here, and we've got a new sponsor, DistroKid. Now that you've finished your latest Pirate Math SpongeCore Twitch trek, it's time to get it out there so everyone can hear it. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. And because you're a high-gain listener, you get 30% off. Just go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash high-gain. And now DistroKid has an app. The DistroKid app is available for iOS and Android. You can download it at distrokid.com slash app or in the app and play stores. We'd like to take a minute to thank our pals over at Isotope, makers of software and plugins for audio repair, mixing, and mastering. The new gold standard of audio repair, Isotope RX11, is coming in May. Buy RX10 now on sale and get RX11 absolutely free when it's released. We use Isotope products here at the High Gain. It's an important part of how we've been able to bottle pure podcast gold week after week. High Gain listeners get 10% off using the promo code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. That's all at isotope.com. I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hey, it's me, Edward Allen Peterson. Oh, hi, Ed. It's me, John Frederick Kilteka. Uh, what's going on, John? You know, doing my thing. Okay. Yeah. You kind of got that subdued, John. A little subdued, yeah. Okay. Scoodly what do? Oh, no. Not into it. Oh, sorry, Dad. It's the high gain. Didn't mean to be a bring down. Yeah. Talk about guitars. Yes. In beautiful West Seattle. And it's sunny out. Yeah. You've got a Gretsch t-shirt on. I do. It's pretty good. I got some Gretsch news for you. Oh, yeah? Did you see that supergroup Boy Genius mm-hmm. is going to have a signature Gretsch? I did. Turns out. Oh, yeah? You can't get it from Gretsch. That seems weird. I think this is the first time they're doing this. Yeah? You can only buy it directly from Boy Genius, the band. Weird, like on their website or something? Yeah. I wonder how they arrived at that. Yeah, that's weird. Did you see the other news? No. Boy Genius is officially on hiatus as a band. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Maybe three days after they announced the guitar was coming out. I wonder what kind of juice you have to have for a guitar manufacturer to be like, hey, we want to make a signature model for your band. Okay, cool, but only we can sell it. Yeah, that's weird. I wonder how limited that run is going to be. And how does fulfillment for stuff like that work? What if it doesn't? What if it's like, only we can sell it and you guys have to do fulfillment? You would think it would have to be like that. I don't know. But I am not playing a Gretsch today. Today I've got an Ibanez from the olden days. Initial take. I like it. I think it's kind of cool. It's very 70s. That would make sense. Since it's from the 70s, I 1978. guess? 1978. This is an Ibanez MC200 from the Musician series. Okay. 
it's got some very clearly Ibanez-y things. The bridge, the cloud shape. Yeah. What about the headstock? This was their then new headstock. Oh, okay. We'll get into all the unusual things they put into this. It's going to be fun. Beverages. Yes, Ed, beverages. Working that ditto looper. Working that looper. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure I'll get better at that. I think you're doing great. The people have been clamoring about it on the internet. Oh, oh, have they? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> uh, I got coffee and a crow mug. Yes, you do. The crow mug, it's been probably months since we identified the developing crack in it, and it hasn't broken yet. It's going to be fine, John. Yeah. I've also got a Huel protein shake. Yeah. I think Patrick and the boys need to get on the horn with Huel. Yeah. Over their ruinous media network of music-related podcasts. That's right. Because I drink a lot of this stuff. And, you know, if we could get them send an Ed multiple cases of Huel, that would be great. <laughs> you know, if you're a listener and you're maybe hitting the gym. Slapping plates. Slapping plates, as they say. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By they, I mean Ed. Yeah. And you need to get your protein in. Protein shakes help to top that off. You see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Uh, what do you got? I have coffee as well. Mm -hmm. I also have, again, Florida's Natural Zero Sugar Premium Lemonade, a farmer's cooperative since 1933. What do we call that design with the stripe down the middle? Hippie sandwich. <laughs> okay. It's a neck through. Mm-hmm. This five-ply stripe of woods you see going through the body is the neck. Right. It's very 70s where you've got the lighter color sandwiched between two darker sides of the body. Right. Kramer, Ibanez, a lot of models had that look. And even the body is not solid. There's a top, there's a bottom, and then the middle. Huh. So the wings are made of ash, and then the top and bottom of them are mahogany. There's a lot of wood in here. Man. That's putting work into the guitar. It does seem like a lot of work. To get at why they did all of this work, mm -hmm. we need to briefly go back. Okay. Pre-1978, I think a lot of people are familiar with what's called the lawsuit era. That term gets thrown around a lot, not only with brands other than Ibanez, but with models and years to the point where almost anything made in the 70s that resembles something else, people are like, oh, it's a lawsuit guitar. Right. There was only the one lawsuit, and it was Gibson versus Ibanez. Yep. They were not happy with all the copy stuff Ibanez was doing. Les Paul's Flying V's Explorers. And it wasn't just Gibson. They were copying Fenders. They were copying Martins. Ibanez was a copy company. And I think the reason Gibson got super uptight about it 
in the 70s is because the copies were really good. Right. In a lot of cases, better than the originals. And I think that was noticed. They weren't down? They were not down. In 1976, Gibson went to the NAM show and they saw all this. Holy shit, boss. Check out what Ibanez is doing. They're copying all our shit. I think that's pretty understandable. I'm not super down with the litigious nature of Gibson or just maybe the United States, <laughs> you know? But at the same time, I could see walking into NAM and having effectively identical versions of the stuff you're displaying. That would be frustrating, to say the least. Think about it, 1975, 76, Norlin era. Right. They're already not doing great. They're already making garbage. Mm -hmm. And now here comes Ibanez making not garbage that looks exactly like your garbage. Probably for less money. So they go to NAM in 76 and they are not happy. <laughs> During the next year, before the next NAM, Ibanez, they hear somehow, Right. Hey, fellas, I think these guys are going to sue your shit. Yeah. They plan on coming to NAM with the feds and they're going to seize all your shit right out of the booth. Having gotten this heads up, Ibanez was like, let's come up with our own shit then. Right. So 1977 Nam, Gibson comes marching over to the booth. There's no copies. That's so good. I guess whatever Gibson had started, they felt obliged to finish. So they did sue them anyway. Yeah. Didn't really go anywhere. Headstock design was pretty integral in it. The open book headstock. Yeah. Shape. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty direct copy. Yeah, so they came up with a whole new line. Why not? They had series that would evolve over time. One of the first of those series was what I hold here, the Musician series. One of the first things to come out in 78. Even though they introduced these lines, they didn't come out until 78. In 77, they probably were actually still selling all of the Lawsuit Era stuff. I imagine they're in the pipeline. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Could you get a 77 or 78 copy? Probably. Yeah. What's Gibson going to do if Joe Blow Guitar Shop down the street has some of those left over? Sees the thing the guy bought? Yeah. So this came out. What we have here is the neck through body we mentioned. The neck is maple and walnut. And if I turn this around the back, you can see how that is one neck from top to tail all the way yep. through. Two humbuckers designed by Ibanez. They decided they weren't going to do any off-the-shelf stuff. They went from the ground up. Harmonica-style bridge? Yeah, designed by them. Okay. Ibanez Super 88 humbucking pickups. Some of them were called Super 80s. I don't really know what the difference in tone was, but they're humbuckers. Those are pretty well-regarded pickups. Yeah. Yeah. No pull bangers, black covers, and no exposed bangers. Integrated plastic covers, direct mounted. Oh, yeah. Right into the body. Yep. No pick guard of any kind on this yep, thing. Yep, yep, yep. The rosewood fingerboard has been ebonized. Tell me about ebony. Ebony? Yeah. It's a hardwood. Okay. Boom. Uh, volume and tone, one for each pickup. Speed rollers, love them. Speed rollers. Love they em. got the idea for these off old radio knobs. 
Yeah. And so they put them on their prototypes, and the musicians they gave them to were like, oh, wow, these knobs are easy to turn. Yeah, love Do it. that. Yes. Gibraltar Bridge mounted to a sustain block. Does it go through? It does not. If you took the bridge off, you'd see this big-ass brass block sunk into the body. Yep. The fit is very precise so that when the bridge is on and tightened down, the whole thing resonates better. Who's our guy that does that? Liggett. Yep, Liggett guitars. Ben Liggett. Yeah, I think a lot of people are starting to do that again. They're starting to realize that there's a logic in that. Sure. Gibraltar tailpiece with scalloped cloud ornament. Mm-hmm. Velvetoon machine heads. Very accurate. And there's a compound nut. It's half brass, half bone. Oh, weird. And that's what you've got here. It's great. Errata. <laughs> Is that a new segment? Yeah. Errata means errors. Us? Follow-up, maybe. Great. We mention something in passing in an episode. And we start asking rhetorical questions. And we don't know, and we always say, yeah, we'll have to look that up. Did you look something up? I did. Oh. Recently, Ed, Yeah. we talked about F-holes. Oh, right. I brought up that the F-hole shape is actually the most resonant shape, and you said they figured it out? Yes. That's the context. Here's what happened. Okay. MIT, of all places, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Mm-hmm. Shout out, eggheads. Uh, <laughs> a bunch of acousticians and dynamicists Ooh. at MIT started thinking about this. They partnered up with the North Bennett Street School in Boston, experts in vintage and antique violin building and restoration and history, Okay, to figure it out. This study took them seven years. <laughs> okay. They found hundreds of instruments all the way from the 10th century to the 19th, including ouds, lutes, guitars, violins, and fithils. Ooh. That was the name of a violin-like instrument back in the Middle Ages from where we get the name today, fiddle. Oh. So the MIT guys took all these instruments and analyzed them one at a time. Here's what they did with these hundreds of instruments. They looked at technical drawings they found in museums globally. They contacted collector databases, historical books. They even took x-rays and CAT scans of antique instruments. They compared the dimensions, the features, and all the measurements of them. And then they measured the acoustic resonances of each. From that, mm -hmm. they modeled the airflow through the sound holes. Okay. The simplest sound holes all the way up to the most complex F-holes. I'm going to hold up a sheet of paper to Ed, and what it shows is the 10th century where instruments were using just a round hole. Yeah. It turns into half moon, then parentheses, until finally we end up with the F-hole we know today. And what they found out is for some reason, the air being pushed by the instrument when you play it flows fastest at the hole's periphery and that the interior didn't affect the sound at all. Okay. This led them to realize that modifications over centuries weren't a form of fashion. It was a form of the instrument makers realizing over centuries, it sounds better if I do this. They maybe didn't know why, they just knew it was. Yeah. And so that's how it ended up. 
the MIT people realize if the sound being pushed through the center of the hole is not as important as the periphery, well, you don't need so much middle then. If that's the case, why do acoustic guitars not just have F-holes then? I'm thinking okay. instruments like violins mm -hmm. are less chordal than guitars. Yeah, got it. Whereas acoustics, you're pushing out a wall of chord. And with a violin, the thing that forces the air out of the front is a stiff back. The stiffer the wood, the better. The top, the thinner, the better. So it can vibrate as you play. Sure. An acoustic, there are braces underneath that top. It's going to act on the sound differently. I don't know. Also, they studied the dimensions of the instruments. And I also wonder if there's something where like, once you get over a certain size. Diminishing returns? Yeah, yeah. But then a cello, right? I don't know. I like that there's a prestigious university. Yes. And there are multiple high-level intelligent people spending seven years doing that kind of work. I actually do love that. Yeah. Because some of the smartest brains in computer science, some of the very smartest people are spending decades of their life figuring out how to target cat food ads to the right market. They're spending all of their time on market segmentation stuff. Yeah. I would much rather have them spending their time on something like this. Why do good instruments sound like they do? Yeah. Way to go, Brainiacs. Yeah. All right, well, let's hear what it sounds like. This guitar that doesn't have any F-holes. Yeah. Let's go as bassy as we can. Oh, I just noticed 24 frets. Oh, look at that. I like it when they put the double dots there so you don't have to do any counting math. I noticed that the frets are fat and wide on this. Jumbo-y. Yeah, jumbo but flatter. Wow, that sounds good up there in bass mode. That's nice. It's lovely. As treble as we can. You didn't click a pedal just then, did you? I did not. That's wild. The difference in tone between the neck and the bridge yeah. is crazy. I've got the neck still set to bassy. And then the middle. Okay. Were there any players? Yeah. At the beginning of their experiments with their own ships, there was the artist series mm -hmm. and there was the studio series. Late 70s, early 80s. A lot of these kind of hippie sandwich looking things. Mm -hmm. Bob Weir of the Grateful Dead. Sure. Steve okay. Miller. Oh, the Steve Miller band. Yeah. Okay. Steve Miller loved Ibanez and they were very good to him. He loved their stuff so much early on. That's great. The truss rod cover, is that brass? It is brass, and it says musician. <laughs> yeah. Also among the early 70s kind of stuff, we know about the Iceman. Paul Stanley. Same time period. One of the new shapes from oh, Ibanez. Oh, really? Yeah. Phil Collin from Def Leppard. I wonder if he played later examples or some of the early copies. Destroyer. Yeah. How's that thing play? I find that the fat and flat frets 
are really nice. Oh, okay. It plays real easy. And I think the 24 fret neck is pretty nice. Yeah. That's how Ibanez began to make their own mark without undue influence from pre-existing brands, Ed. And they're still doing it to this day. I would love the fly-on-the-wall camera of the first Gibson rep to walk by the booth. What's the expression on that dude's face when he sees a wall of Gibsons made by Ibanez? Yeah. Slack jaw. Mouth hanging open. I gotta go tell the boss. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard because I would be pretty upset. It's not like they didn't know before that NAMM show that Ibanez was making copies. Sure. But if you walk in and it's just a wall of your stuff, like that's got to be pretty brutal. Well, it's funny to think they probably wouldn't have cared if they were shitty. Yeah, maybe not. Whatever, dude, you'll never be as good as Gibson. Yeah, but Gibson's already not doing great. And then these guys are making things that are as good or better. Okay. Yeah. First of the original designs, 1978. Mm-hmm. If you've got your $78 or Jimmy Carter money... Yeah, you're a Jonestown Massacre. Oh, you've got that kind of dough to spend. <laughs> sure. And you want this. You yeah. want this Ibanez musician. How much are you going to pay in $1978? $582. I have no idea. That's the number that popped into my head, and I did no internal calculation. 535 Ah, man. You want me to get you closer to the mark? Oh, yeah. Is that without a case? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The case is $98. Oh, my God. So I went under a little bit. You're pretty close. Yeah. In today dollars. Yeah. That's 2500 bucks. That's not bad. That $98 case yeah. today is just under $500. Oh, jeez. No wonder everybody jeez. includes the cases now. Yeah. Nobody would put up with it. Yeah. I am a big fan of give me a case with this thing when I buy it. Yes. Gig bags are nice, too. Shout out Mono. Yeah, shout out Mono. They are very good to us. Yeah. The only gig bag used here at the High Gain. Week in, week out, five years of the show. That thing transports how many thousands of dollars of guitars? Oh, man. You gotta try it. Try and decide. Is it hello? They were out of the copy game for good, Ed. Mm-hmm. Ibanez was going their own way. They were charting their own course. They were eating no one's lunch but their own. Okay. The Ibanez Musician MC200. Buy or deny. Why don't you go first? Why don't I go yeah, first? Yeah, like... Yeah, this is a buy. Yeah. I think a lot of these 70s hippie sandwich ones, they were just built super solid. And the pickups tended to be really nice, kind of aggressive, fat-sounding. Maybe a little hotter than your typical PAF of the time. Yeah. Whether it's this or a Kramer or anything else of the time, they just all are solid guitars. I'm not a fan of the natural wood finishes, even darker ones like this. But you throw that hippie sandwich in there, and I don't know. I just think it's great. It comes from the era. This is unabashedly 70s. Yeah. You absolutely know when this guitar was made. Yeah. I'm totally a buy to. Every single one of these 70s Ibanezes we've played have been amazing. Very, very well made. Yeah. Yeah. Where'd we get this from? Thunder Road Guitars. 
ThunderRoadGuitars.com? Yeah, the very same. Hopefully it's still up on the website. Stuff kind of comes and goes pretty fast. But man, this versus a $1,300 today guitar, I would way rather have this thing. It's got way more personality. Yeah. Yeah. Double buy. The old double buy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take lots of pictures. Put them on Instagram. Put them on Instagram like we do. Anywhere else? No. Maybe throw a picture on Discord. You know, we're the high game on Discord. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. We are still proud members of the Ruinous Media Network of music-related podcasts. Joe, Patrick, Chris, shout out. Shout out. Ed, John, thank you so much. You guys are solid gold. (laughs) (laughs) That's the feedback we've been getting. That's how we hear it. Yeah. To you, it might sound like some kind of frustrated sigh yeah but what we hear is god damn you guys are great exactly yeah so let's come back and wow them again next week i can't wait yeah okay bye john okay bye